Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Bishop continues his series on Old Testament prophets. This week, it's Ezekiel. Hear more about his dramatic call to be a prophet and his amazing vision of the dry bones. How does all of this apply to us today? Plus, Bishop answers questions from listeners on topics including the Society of St. Pius X, the Freemasons, and more. If you have a question for Bishop to answer, submit it at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Or download the free Redeemer Radio app onto your smartphone or tablet and select Ask Your Questions. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop. Thank you again for meeting with us. And I've been really enjoying this walk through the Old Testament that we've been doing. Sure. I've been enjoying it too. The prophets. Yeah. We did two episodes on Isaiah and one episode on Jeremiah. And I guess the next up would be Ezekiel. You know, he's the third of the major prophets. Do you like Ezekiel? Uh, sure. Sure. He had the, uh, the, the wheel. Right. Uh, was he, no, with the chariot, the, yeah. the flaming chariot. Yes. In the yes. sky, on right. the clouds. That was the vision. Yeah. 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 Which Char- is a really crazy vision. Chariots of fire. Yeah. Yes. It, it's, it's, uh, we'll talk a little bit about it. I'm not going to read all that because it's quite lengthy. Okay. And difficult to understand. <laughs> That's about all I know. Okay. I, well, no, there'll be other things you'll remember. My episode on Ezekiel is very short. You know the story <laughs> of the dry bones. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah that's his dry bones. Yeah. So we'll talk about that. And, okay. Uh, and some other things. Yeah. Oh, and the scroll. The scroll that he eats. He, he yeah. We'll talk about scroll. that because that's part of his call. Okay. Okay. So good. So you All know right. some of Ezekiel. So I've got about yeah. three minutes of material. Yeah. Now, was he a priest? Uh, I don't know. He was. Okay. That's unique. He was a member of a priestly family. So we think of Ezekiel as prophet, but he was also a priest. So okay. Ezekiel was a little later than Jeremiah, but they overlapped because we know that in, in the year 597, if you recall, in, when we talked about Jeremiah, there were really three deportations to mm-hmm. Babylon. And the, the, the biggest one was the second one when they took King Jehoiakim. Okay. Um, so that was around 597. Well, Ezekiel was in that group. So he was taken as captive to Babylon. So mm-hmm. he's the only one. Well, Daniel too, but but remember Jeremiah stayed in Jerusalem and then he ended up fleeing to Egypt. Well, here we have now a prophet who actually was a prophet in Babylon. Okay. Uh, although he prophesied about things back home. So he was a, a young man. He was 30 years old. Well, no, he was about 25 years old when he was deported. And again, the king in Babylon was Nebuchadnezzar. When you read Ezekiel, we have much more clear years of when things happened. He's He gives more dates, which makes it easier. Okay. Because uh, when you read some of Jeremiah, for example, you're trying to figure out, well, when is he, what time is he referring to or whatever. Ezekiel is much more detailed. And um, he will date everything from when King Jehoiakim was exiled. As I mentioned it, he was exiled in 597 mm-hmm. to Babylon. Well, what Ezekiel keeps going over, he'll say, for example, in the fifth year 
of King Jehoiakim's exile, okay. or in the sixth year, or in the seventh year, all the way up, he goes and on and on and on. So we really, you can figure out the time. So he describes his his uh, calling basically as taking place at the same time when he would take up his office as a priest. He was thirty years old in the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's exile. So that would be 592 BC. So basically five years after he arrived in exile in Babylon. Uh-huh. Again, Ezekiel was with that group when King Jehoiakim was taken to Babylon. So he describes a vision that he had by the river Chabar. This was somewhere in Babylon. It was, you know, Babylon, by the way, is really in present day Iraq. So it was called Chaldea, mm-hmm. okay? Or we even speak today of the Chaldean Catholics. Yeah. You know, it was Catholics in Iraq. That's where they were in exile. Okay. Um, but his prophetic ministry began, and um, he will date his visions and his oracles in relation to that year when the king was deported, the fifth year, the sixth year, etc. Now, remember, when Jehovahkin was exiled, Zedekiah became the king in Judah. So you have King Zedekiah still ruling, although as a vassal, really, of Babylon. So let me read those, um, those first few verses of the book of Prophet Ezekiel. In the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the river Chabar, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God on the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzai, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chabar, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. So we get this exact dating, which is kind of nice. So then we have this vision. Okay, now I'm not going to read. It's quite lengthy. I'll read part of it. But it really goes on and on and on for, well, chapter one is, is like uh, 28 verses. And then chapter two, it gets more into what his mission is that he receives. And then chapter three. But basically, it's a real fantastic vision. There's this heavenly chariot or throne of God. And it's described in great detail. Mm-hmm. Um, it has wheels. It's kind of a mobile throne. And it's composed of four living creatures, these angelic beings that have multiple wings and multiple eyes and, and uh, four living creatures and four faces. Kind of reminds you of the cherubim on top of the Ark of the Covenant, okay. you know, these angelic beings. And uh, the four faces are that of a human, that of an eagle, that of an ox, and that of a lion. Mm-hmm. And by the way, this chariot, this throne coming through the sky, it's it's during a storm. It's kind of reminds you of uh, the theophany to Moses on Mount Sinai. There's a storm, you mm-hmm. know, God's presence, a storm. And it says that when the throne draws near, Ezekiel sees above the throne the likeness of the glory of the Lord, enthroned in a human form who speaks to him calling him to a prophetic ministry to the hard-hearted people of Israel. 
It's kind of like Moses again. You know, he was a mystery to the hard-hearted people. Uh-huh. Just to get a little bit of this, uh, chapter 2, we can see what is his mission. This is the beginning of chapter 2. And he said to me, Son of man, stand upon your feet, and I will speak with you. And when he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me upon my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to a nation of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The people also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that there has been a prophet among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit upon scorpions, be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house, and you will speak my words to them whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. (laughs) I mean, it goes on and on. But, oh, the next part's important, though. Let me go on. (laughs) But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and lo, a written scroll was in it, and he spread it before me, And it had writing on the front and on the back. And there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat what is offered to you. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And he said to me, Son of man, go, get you to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them, etc. This is pretty dramatic call. It's a sign of his ministry, this eating a scroll, because on the front and back, there's these words of lamentation and mourning and woe representing the word that he has to speak. You know, he's going to speak these words of judgment. So this represents that the the word of god had entered into him the prophetic word is it literal or is it a symbol it's a symbol i mean no i i mean it's it signifies something but Uh actually he could have eaten it but but he's not speaking metaphorically right right then the the vision of the cherubim and the throne leaves so you know, this was still the throne. This was God speaking to him, etc. But then later, seven days later, the word of the Lord returns to him, commissioning him to be a watchman for the house of Israel, to turn from their sins. Otherwise, they'll experience the judgment of God. So this is, again, very similar to Isaiah and Jeremiah, this, this, these words of judgment. And then the vision of God's glory returns to him, and the Lord informs Ezekiel of a that he'll be afflicted by a certain spiritual or supernatural muteness. Hmm. Um, and he and remember Moses' speech impediment. Well, Ezekiel kind of is mute, made mute, but the Lord lifts that when he wants him to speak. 
when he wants Ezekiel to speak his word right. to the people of Israel. So that's an interesting thing. All right, coming up, we'll have more about Ezekiel right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. We've been talking about the prophet Ezekiel, and I'm curious to learn more. Now, when you go on with the book, chapters four to seven, there's more prophetic signs, more oracles against the city of Jerusalem. Now, this is before Jerusalem is destroyed because Ezekiel's there in Babylon, but he's preaching or he's giving these oracles against the city of Jerusalem because the city had not yet fallen. Then in chapters 8 to 11, he goes on about the sins in the temple. He's very concerned about the temple mm-hmm. because he's a priest, you know, and he r- writes about the uh, the destruction of Jerusalem. Then in chapters 12 to 19, more prophetic signs, more oracles, allegories. There's another, again, like Jeremiah, there's this oracle of the Lord as the bridegroom and Jerusalem as an adulterous bride. Mm-hmm. So you see these similar themes in the different prophets that we read about in chapter 16. And then in chapters 20 to 23, it basically gives an overview of salvation history and the spiritual adultery of Jerusalem. I want to kind of highlight chapter 24. There's this thing about a boiling pot. I won't get into that. But the part about the death of Ezekiel's wife. Did you know he was married? No. Remember, Jeremiah was celibate, but Ezekiel was married. But So in, in chapter 24, beginning with verse 15, also the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, behold, I'm about to take the delight of your eyes away from you hmm. at a stroke. Yet you shall not mourn or weep, nor shall your tears run down. Sigh, but not aloud. Make no mourning for the dead. Bind on your turban and put your shoes on your feet. Do not cover your lips, nor eat the bread of mourners. So I spoke to the people in the morning, and at evening my wife died. And on the next morning, I did as I was commanded. So the death of his wife became a prophetic sign of the passing away of God's spouse, Jerusalem. And the fact that Jerusalem will depart without being mourned because those who were left, they'd be struggling merely to survive. So there's this analogy again, this analogy between Ezekiel and his wife and God and his people, or God and the and the Jerusalem temple. Mm-hmm. Keep reading the book of prophet Ezekiel, chapters 25 to 32. Kind of like Jeremiah, it moves to oracles against other nations. So you had all these preaching of judgment, condemnation against Jerusalem and, and the God's people, but now oracles against other nations, you know, especially these these pagan Gentile nations like Moab and Edom and Ammon and Philistia, that they'll all be punished because they gloated over the destruction of Jerusalem. 
they took advantage of the destruction and they would pillage and abuse the survivors in Jerusalem and in Judah. So we have these oracles against them and also against bigger nations like Tyre and Egypt. So there's this condemnation and lament, etc. Okay, as with the other prophets, we then move on to this theme of a new exodus and a new creation. So you can read Ezekiel chapters 33 to 39, which are prophecies after the fall of Jerusalem and after the last deportation to Babylon. Now, when was the, what was the year, Kyle? I just want to test you that Jerusalem was destroyed and the last, uh, the last were, were exiled to Babylon. I was supposed to commit this to memory. Uh, was it 576? 587. 587. Very good. Remember the December Remember that 587. Okay. Key date in the history of, of Israel. So what's his message? Okay, now he switches to from that condemnation to consolation, just like we see in Isaiah, just like we see in Jeremiah. So we get this, this message of hope. Ezekiel 34 is, you're probably familiar with, where he condemns the bad shepherds, the corrupt shepherds, and says they'll re be replaced by by a new shepherd who is God himself. Hmm. The God as the shepherd of Israel, together with the, the new Davidic king. Mm -hmm. So that's a important message. This idea of a new exodus and the whole idea of God will prepare them for this new exodus by cleaning them from their sins with water so that they can receive his law and his spirit within them, in their heart. This is very similar to Jeremiah. Uh -huh. Now, Ezekiel doesn't specifically write about the new covenant. He doesn't use that term. Right. But the same idea is there. And it, it does is described as like a new exodus. And this receiving the law and God's spirit within within them, in their heart. So remember I, I pointed out that one uh, part of, of the prophet Jeremiah, which I said was really the center, the really uh, beautiful promise of the, of the new covenant in Jeremiah chapter 31. Well, here in Ezekiel, there'd be a similar passage that's really important. And that's Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 23 to 28. And let me read that. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord says the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will take out of your flesh the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. You shall dwell in the land which I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, 
and I will be your God. And it goes on. Mm -hmm. Ezekiel 36, really, we connect this with baptism. Okay. Okay. So, but I'll talk a little bit more about that. I want to, though, raise a question because it's a question that that, uh, Ezekiel answers. And that question is, what about those who die before the new exodus? Mm -hmm. And he basically says, don't despair because God's able to raise them from their graves Hmm. in order to experience the blessings of this new creation. So now we have this notion of not just the new exodus, but a new creation. And that's the point of the famous vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 to 14. I would guess that most listeners uh, are familiar with this story of the of the dry bones, but um, this valley that's filled with dry bones. Ezekiel is prompted by the Lord, and he prophesies, and these bones assemble into skeletons, and then they clothe themselves with flesh, and then they finally present themselves as a great army, a great living army. I'll read it. Chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me round among them, and behold, there were very many upon the valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, And you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And as I looked, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great host. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are clean cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you home into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, says the Lord. 
Ezekiel's tying the future resurrection to the restoration of the kingdom of David to all the 12 tribes of Israel. He symbolizes this in also another prophetic sign in which God instructs Ezekiel, you may be familiar with this, to take two sticks and unite them into one. And the first stick is for Joseph, that represents the 10 tribes of Israel, the northern tribes. The second stick is for Judah, and that equals the two southern tribes. And they're, the united stick is all the 12 tribes together, hmm. the kingdom of David. Ezekiel is telling us that the new exodus, the new creation, the new kingdom will all come when the future Davidic king finally arrives. And... This is recounted again in that later in that same chapter 37, verses 24 to 28. And I'll read it. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall follow my ordinances and be careful to observe my statutes. They shall dwell in the land where your fathers dwelt that I gave to my servant Jacob. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will bless them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in the midst of them forevermore. So all those tragedies, the Assyrian exile, the Babylonian exiles, all that's going to be undone. They'll be surpassed. There'll be the coming of a new king, a shepherd, a new temple that will never be destroyed, that will last forever. Finally, the last part of Ezekiel verses are chapters 40 to 48 is all about the new temple. Remember, he's a priest, so he's focused a lot on the temple. Mm -hmm. So you have this restored land of Israel with a new temple. And when you read this, uh, I'm not going to read it except for verse one of chapter 47, it describes a river flowing out of the right side of the threshold of the temple. Hmm. And that river brings life and health and healings wherever it goes. The source of the divine blessing, really the center for the life of the people of the nation is the liturgy in the temple. And from that flows this, this wonderful river. So really, when you read the book of Ezekiel, you know, his prophecy is very much liturgical. He's a priest, a lot about the temple. The very beginning of the book, the first 11 chapters, he's explaining why the presence of the Lord abandoned the temple mm -hmm. because of the people's infidelity. But then when you get to the final part of the book, these chapters 40 to 48, there's an account of the conditions that will prevail when the new temple arrives and the presence of the Lord returns. Hmm. I mean, we can see so much here. It's kind of like the what happens in the book of Exodus uh, in many ways. They, they both end with this establishing of a new sanctuary and the new liturgy and etc. All right, this is all fascinating. And don't forget, if you have questions for Bishop, you can go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Text us on the Holy Cross College text line 260 
436-9598. Coming up, we'll have more about Ezekiel right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives by providing products and services that save them money. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it away to our members' favorite charities. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, and we've been talking about the prophet Ezekiel. Bishop, what does this have to do with us today as Christians? You know, again, we see fulfillment of the prophecy. So when you look in our lectionary, of all these texts, the one we find the most is Exodus 36, what I read about the prophecy of the sprinkling with clean water that will affect a new spirit, you know, very much like Jeremiah and the new covenant that we read about. Uh, And the church sees this as a prophecy of the reality of baptism, our initiation into the new covenant. And it happens by the bestowal of the Holy Spirit. So notice at the Easter Vigil, this passage of Ezekiel 36 is the final Old Testament reading, the seventh of those Old Testament readings at the Easter Vigil. Hmm. This account of sprinkling with clean water because of course we're going to celebrate the baptism of the catechumens at the easter vigil so that's a really important this is also an optional reading for when we have infant baptisms or even at confirmations it's one of the choices of readings another important text of course i read the vision of the dry bones exodus chapter 37 if you go to mass on the vigil of pentecost This is one of the readings. And also, on the fifth Sunday of Lent, every three years, year A, when we have the gospel of the raising of Lazarus, we have this, as the first reading, this vision of the dry bones. One of the meanings of the vision is that it foreshadows how Israel will be restored. Well, think about Pentecost, the restoration of Israel. In principle, you have the 12 apostles the 12 new patriarchs of the new Israel, and they're now empowered by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, promised by the prophets. And then there's another aspect of this vision of the dry bones, which is that idea of the bodily resurrection of the dead. Especially we see this, as I mentioned, when this passage is paired with the raising of Lazarus uh, on the fifth Sunday of Lent. Also, that whole idea of God as the shepherd of Israel after he condemns the, the corrupt shepherds, you know, this promise that God will shepherd his people in Ezekiel 34. We hear that reading on the feast of Christ, the King year a, and also on the feast of the sacred heart year C the idea of, of Christ as the shepherd King and the judge of Israel and the nations. And then that vision of the river of life flowing from the temple, Ezekiel 47, 
Mass is when we have dedication of new churches. This is one of the readings that can be used. Hmm. Every year on November 9th, the Feast of of the Dedication of the Basilica of St. John Lateran, we have this reading because our churches are sanctuaries from which flow the river of the sacraments Mm -hmm. and the, the flow of the Holy Spirit to the people of God. So you can see why we would use that reading. Also, the idea of the the water flowing from the temple. When we read John's gospel, we read how Jesus is the source of living water. And it's really interesting. In chapter 7, Jesus paraphrases Ezekiel 47 when he declares, Out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. And then in John chapter 19, of course, we read the blood and water flowed from the pierced side of Christ. And then in the book of Revelation, chapters 21 and 22, where it talks about the new Jerusalem and the new temple, St. John describes a river of the water of life flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb in the heavenly city of Jerusalem, which is also the bride of Christ. Hmm. It's beautiful to to consider all these uh these prophecies and how the church fathers and how the church has interpreted them as being fulfilled in Christ and in the church. One extra thing I'll mention from early on, when we talked about that, that vision that Ezekiel had of the four creatures and the chariot and the throne of God mm-hmm. in the, in the sky in, in chapter one, those four creatures have been interpreted by early on as uh, representing the four evangelists. You probably, I don't know, Kyle, do you know when you see these symbols of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, do you know what each one is symbolized by? Uh, I've heard it at one time. Yeah. Well, it's it comes from Ezekiel because what are the four faces? Yeah. The man, the lion, the ox, and the eagle. Uh-huh. Now, there's different ways that these reasons why these are associated with the four evangelists. What I like best is the interpretation by Pope St. Gregory the Great. Gregory the Great wrote about how the beginning of each of these gospels, we Mm. see these images. Uh And I'll quote Gregory the Great. Gregory the Great, by the way, wrote several homilies on the book of Ezekiel. They're interesting to read Uh because you get an idea of how these fathers of the church thought about the teachings of the prophets. So this comes from one of his homilies on Ezekiel. He says, Gregory the Great writes, because he began with the generations of humankind, Matthew is justly represented by a man. Okay, so when you read the Gospel of Matthew, it begins with a genealogy. Uh Okay, so that's why Gregory the Great says, because he began with the generations of humankind, Matthew is justly represented by a man. Because of the crying in the wilderness, Mark is rightly indicated by a lion. So you think about how the gospel of Mark begins. It's it's John the Baptist crying out in the wilderness. So the lion. Mm -hmm. Because he started from sacrifice, Gregory the Great says, Luke is well described as an ox. Mm -hmm. So you have that beginning of Luke's gospel. You know, you have Zechariah offering the sacrifice in the temple, etc., an ox, Luke, always represented by an ox. And because he begins with the divinity of the word, 
John is worthily signified by an eagle. He who says, in the beginning was the word. While he stretched toward the very substance of dignity, he fixed his eye on the sun as if in the fashion of an eagle. So basically, St. John like begins with this magnificent uh, mis- idea, you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So he's really, I mean, it's like stretching out wings. This is like getting to the very heart of of the mystery of God. It's almost like he's stretching us here, like the wings of an eagle. So anyhow, that's interesting from Ezekiel. So had those symbols been attached to the gospels before St. Gregory the Great? or Yeah, there were other fa- earlier fathers okay. of the church, but I don't know that they used the same explanations right, that Gregory right. did. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and I don't know how they first, start, you know, why they would do that. Be, I mean, I, I haven't really researched it, but obviously it has nothing to do with the four evangelists when it was written, you know. Right. But somehow, and maybe the guidance of the Holy Spirit, they, mm-hmm. they saw this as uh, prefiguring the uh, four gospels. Yeah. Well, I'm learning so much and uh, I think we might have a little bit of time to get into a few questions this episode and we'll save Daniel for another time. So if you have any questions, you can ask Bishop by going to redeemerradio.com slash ask Bishop. Text us on the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, we'll have some of your questions right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, asking the questions that you have submitted for Bishop to answer. Our first listener submitted question is, can you go to an SSPX church and fulfill your Sunday obligation. I wonder if all the listeners know what an SSPX church is. Yeah. It's the Society of St. Pius X. It's the, if you recall, uh, years ago when Archbishop Lefebvre ordained bishops without the Pope's approval, there was a certain separation Mm -hmm. from the church that took place. Originally, they were excommunicated. Well, it's important to remember that this church is not in full communion with the Catholic Church, the SSPX, the Society of St. Pius X, and Pope Benedict, even though he lifted the excommunication, said that its ministers do not legitimately exercise any ministry in the church. So their ministry is illicit, okay? Okay. They're valid priests that they have. They're validly ordained priests and validly ordained bishops, but they were illicitly ordained. Uh-huh. So when you go to mass, you should go to a, a church that's in full communion with the Catholic church. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go to a Byzantine Catholic church. You can go to one of our uh, Latin Catholic churches, you know, any of our parishes. Why would one go to a mass in to a church that's not in full communion? As far as whether, you know, I'm talking about communion with the bishops and communion with the Pope. Mm-hmm. Now, it could happen, although not in our area, that if there was no Catholic church or one in communion with the Catholic church available, and all you could do is go to an SSPX church, 
yeah, that would fulfill your obligation. Okay. But you shouldn't do that. Okay. Unless you, there's no, no legitimate Catholic church uh, available. So I hope that answers the question. Yeah. And I, I think some of the draw to that is for those that like the, the Latin mass or a more traditional mass, they, they might be attracted to the SSPX. Now in our diocese, we also have Latin masses that are in communion with the church. So that's always available. But for somebody, if they were just attracted, still, you should go to a Catholic mass right. that's in communion with the church. Right. Yeah. I mean, and really, I mean, why we have two parishes, yeah. we have Sacred Heart in Fort Wayne and and St. Stanislaus in South Bend, like you said, and they have the traditional Latin mass and, and they're in full communion with the Catholic church. Right. So yeah. I don't understand why one would go to an SSPX community when they can go to the traditional Latin mass mm -hmm. legitimately. Yeah. All right. Another listener asked, if you are a member of the Freemasons, can you receive communion? No, you really should not. Um, back in 1983, the Vatican Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith said that Catholics were not to be part of Masonic associations and spoke of this as being sinful to join. So if one is in that state, as a, they are not to receive Holy Communion if they're members of Masonic organizations. So you can get into a whole thing of why the church doesn't allow membership mm -hmm. in the Masons. There's a lot of historical reasons, um, but that would be the subject for yeah. another yeah. another episode, I think. It's different than uh, an Eagle's Lodge or a Moose Lodge or something like that. They, there's actually... Uh, Masonic principles where they have their own rituals and yeah. all that kind of stuff, yeah. Okay. Someone asked... Can sin be passed down from one generation to the next? Well, if one's talking about personal moral guilt, no. But like, let's say somebody commits murder. Is that, uh, is that sin passed down to the murderer's children? No. Now, there could be some effects that are passed down. You know, if you have parents who've been involved in serious sin and whether it's drug abuse and adultery and stuff, there's bad effects sure. on the next generation, sure. you know, but the sin itself is not passed on. Now, if you're talking about original sin, yeah, that is passed mm. on. Now, original sin though, isn't a personal, uh, we're, we're not personally guilty for just the term original sin kind of gives the idea of some kind of personal moral guilt when really what is original sin? It's the deprivation of supernatural life original sin is being deprived of supernatural life hmm. you see that was lost uh you know originally the creation of human beings there was that state of original holiness that original justice that was lost due to the sin of adam and eve mm -hmm. and that's what original sin is that deprivation of the life of holiness, the supernatural life that was there at the beginning. Now, when we're baptized, of course, we say we're cleansed of original sin because we receive the supernatural life of mm -hmm. grace. Noah Becker, fifth grader at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton School, left us a voicemail message. So we'll play that. I know it would be great to be in heaven, 
But do you think it would be strange to be looking out over everything for all eternity? What do you think it would be like? Wow, Noah, we cannot even imagine what life is going to be like in heaven. But what's primary about it is we'll see God face to face, what we call the beatific vision. And that will be the most joyful and the most amazing experience. It'll be an experience of the intensity of God's love. And everything that we see, if we look out and see other things and others, it's all in the light of God's light. So it's, it's really beyond anything we can imagine. What it will be like, all I can say is it's going to be amazing. It's going to be incredible. So I wish I could help you more. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you again, Bishop, for walking us through the Old Testament major prophets. We've gone through three of them so far, and people can definitely check out the past ones if you've missed it. And uh, thank you for answering some of our questions. Also, can we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop to submit a question for a future show. While you're there, listen to any of our previous 117 episodes. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.